Hello and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast, Coaching You in the Word. It's so good to be speaking with you today. I'm going to begin part seven of understanding how to win in spiritual warfare. I want to welcome those of you from around the country who download our podcast. We are uh, very thrilled to be sharing the Word of God with you, and we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at uh, Mike Springston FFC, Springston56 at gmail.com, Mike Springston Ministries.com, FFCMA.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's Facebook messaging, where we again appreciate all of those of you that come on with us. Well, part seven. Understanding how to win in spiritual warfare. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God today. I pray that you'll open our eyes that we could see and our ears that we could hear and our heart that we can understand what the word of God is saying to us. And then may we apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear son. Father, we sanctify ourselves, surrender ourselves, and yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Father, as Jesus is speaking, seated beside you, may he speak through the Holy Spirit and may we hear and listen and may the Holy Spirit guide us into truth. We thank you, Father, for Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for all the things that you have done to manifest your glory to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Let's look into uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification, not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. Now last session, as we finished session six, we were talking about some scripture from chapter four of Ephesians. And we left off in verse 17, and I'd like to finish that. Verse 18, having the understanding darkened to be alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. This verse is the position of the spiritually defeated. They remain in darkness and therefore they are a non-participant with the life of God. These are those who live in the cycle of forgiveness that is associated with the cross. They... Uh, identify there and assume that all of the work for them has been done for them by Jesus. And, of course, this is a misinformed concept. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance 
that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. When we correlate the Word of God from Paul's writings in Philippians chapter 2, we see that we play a major part in the development of our salvation. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We are to spend time developing our knowledge and understanding of the great work that has been accomplished in us. Now, this work is not completed upon our belief. It is begun upon our belief. Often I hear people say, you know, pastor, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that is true. We all have been living at times a life of sin. And we all have come short of the glory of God. But when the belief system begins, we begin to identify with the cross, with the burial, with the new life, with the priesthood, the lordship, the man and the Godhead bodily. Our life changes. Now many would say, well, we resort and rely on grace, God's grace. Grace is a great thing, but Paul said grace can be frustrated. So we need to understand that we are expected to grow and to develop we are expected to repent if we make a mistake, but we are not expected to live a lifestyle of sin and then say, well, you know, Pastor, everybody sins and comes short of the glory of God. We're not expected to do that. We're not expected to live a lifestyle where we accentuate the evil that goes on in the world while we call ourselves Christians. We're not expected to live a lifestyle of which we can tell no difference between the way we act, do, think, and say and those that say they know nothing about Christ and they are living without any salvation. See, those things bring a bright blight to the work that Jesus Christ has done. Verse 19 said, Who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness and greediness. Many think that this Christian walk is a one size fit all. And they also think it's an event and not a process. Therefore, they make a profession that has no real internal change. This lead to work to works that do not become the faith of Jesus Christ. This causes the cause of Christ to grow through a sort of evolution because those that live that way make excuses. They create doctrines. They make de demands upon the truth that do not align or agree with the Word of God. Now, you would say, Pastor, what's this got to do with understanding how to win in spiritual warfare? Well, it does not become spiritual warfare when one cannot ascertain for which side you are a soldier. No soldier that warreth, 
entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. It's not spiritual warfare when your life cannot be reconciled to the truth of God's Word. The enemy does not have to attack those that are saying one thing and living another. They're doing all of the attacks necessary against themselves. So the enemy is not running you through the mill because he doesn't have to. Your life already resembles one that is a warrior, but not a warrior for the truth. No soldier that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. So you're not in spiritual warfare if your life is being led in such a way that you're operating contrary to the Word of God, that you're operating in opposition to the Word of God, that you're operating in rejection to the Word of God, and here's a big one, that you're operating in what you have determined to be your truth. Your truth, my friend, may or may not run in harmony and lockstep with the Word of God. What you think you can do and be a Christian may or may not run in lockstep with the Word of God. My suggestion is that you get into the Word of God, study it out, stop making determinations on your own because you heard somebody say something or twist the Word of God that agreed with your ideology or your desired mindset. No, he said that those people, Paul did, went past feelings and gave, gave, he said, themselves over to lasciviousness. They gave themselves to work uncleanness and greediness. Verse 20, but ye, Paul said, have not so learned the victoriously anointed Christ. Now watch what Paul said. But you have not understood, been privileged to, been taught about, read the word of God concerning the anointing that is in Christ. You have not been taught the word of truth to attempt to live a haphazard life and call yourself a Christian. Many people say, I don't understand where God is. I'm going through so and so and so and so. Well, my friend, God is in the same place He's always been. He's doing the same thing He's always done. He's never changed. He is still operating the plan of salvation and doing so to perfection. He is still delivering the righteous because He knows how. He is still preserving the righteous because He knows how. He is still healing. He is still living for you to be in safety. He's still making you sound and making you whole. But your life in its haphazard nature, in its unfaithful nature, has brought about things that now have become the consequences and the repercussion not of spiritual warfare, but of sin. Wow. We've learned the truth about sin 
Paul says we've learned Christ, so we know the truth about sin. Now, we don't want to come to that conclusion in our life today, in our world. We, we don't want to come to the conclusion that sin is at the root of all of our problems. Not only in the world, not only in the culture, not only in the society, but in the heart of man. Well, had we learned Christ, we would have learned to shun evil. We would have learned to lay aside every weight of sin, but no, our leadership has taught us that we should seek wealth instead of a relationship with Jesus. Our leadership has taught us that by doctrine, because we have the gift, the second greatest gift God has ever given man, grace, because we have that, and I don't mean to discount the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, because he would be a, a, a gift to man that is the spirit of truth, which is Jesus Christ. But the gift that is so great to man, because we have grace, and because grace, God loves us so much, we can live any way we want to. We can live unholy, disrespectful, irreverent lives, and don't worry about it. Grace is enough. Well... The Word of God said that we need to learn to shun evil and we need to learn to lay aside every weight of sin that doth so easily beset us. Now, here's the problem. We've now come to the conclusion that we can't identify sin because we're told that grace covers whatever sin is. Huh, isn't that something? But Jesus told us that out of the heart of man, everything would proceed. So if your heart is inaccurate, if your heart isn't right, if you're doing deeds that do not reflect the workmanship of the, created, the creation of Jesus Christ in you, then my friend, we are crucifying Jesus Christ again. We are frustrating the grace of God and the gift that God has given you to be operated by your own faith is being stunted by the weight of sin of which you're living. Now, what role does all of this play in spiritual warfare? Well, of course, it's the foundation of our access into grace. If we remain in the cycle of sin and forgiveness, then we'll be unable to ever overcome the temptation that the enemy brings. We can say we want to do better. We can even say we will do better. But if we only identify with the cross, then we can only identify with what was accomplished there. What was that? Well, it was the death of a legal sacrifice who by his death purchased our forgiveness. Now there's a big question here. Now what? Well, if we remain right there, then we live a circular life of sin to forgiveness. How do we ever win in spiritual warfare with that approach? Well, we don't. Because we can't. So therefore, we are tossed to and fro. We are made to feel guilty. We are made to feel shameful. All of those things. Because we have not understood that the writer of the book of Hebrews said that we needed to move on from the basic foundation principles. Now we must, must go on to what 
He accomplished next. Of course, we die, and then we're buried. We bury the works of the flesh that used to trap us with its desires, passions, and ambition. Now, what's next? We take on the likeness of his resurrection, according to Paul in Romans 6. We begin to live what I like to call the alive life. This is the newness of life. It establishes a transformed spirit. Someone said, doesn't this happen all at once, Pastor? Well, we've never been told that there was more to being saved than just what occurred at the cross. When you believe on the forgiveness of the cross inspires, you're just that. You're saved. You will remain in that condition as long as you live by the milk of the word. Now, what does that mean? If you never learn, which is what Paul said in Ephesians 4.19, if you never learn Christ, then you stay in the condition of which the cross gave you access. This condition is a peripheral condition that's located at what I would call the tip of the spear. What does that mean? Those who remain here are the most vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. They are the ones who are easily reached, most easily injured, and most easily deceived. They're also the ones who are most easily Turn back to the old lifestyle of sin. Now look at what Jesus said concerning the parable of the sower and the seed. I think it will shed some light on this for us. Matthew 13, 3-9. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Verse 4, And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them. Now watch that. The word fell by the wayside and it was devoured. It did not say that it was sown, nor did it say that it was not received. He said it fell, and it was devoured. Now, that's different. That means that while it was still in process, along came something and took it away. Verse 5, some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. Again, watch it. It fell, but it did not necessarily fall into a place that it could take root. There were too many hazards that undermined its ability to become. Of course, there was no depth. So therefore, the harshness of the environment won the battle against what could have been with what was. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. It's a tough and it's a difficult place. But when the problems came, it was incapable of carrying on, therefore it wasted away. Aren't we seeing the lives of many that we have identified who have at one time turned their life over to Christ, but yet are now living what we could look at and say is a far-removed lifestyle from what it was they said they accepted some time ago? Isn't that what we're seeing in the parable of the seed and the sower? And some fell among thorns, and thorns sprung up and choked them. Then there were those who fell among. They fell among something. They got the goods, but they did not get to develop it 
in an environment of which it could flourish. The environment choked them, literally. It caused the truth of what they could be to be cut off from what it needed to actually become. Choked away, they were deprived of the nurturing and the nourishment required to thrive. Don't we see that all the time in church? People come and they seem to get in there and get it going and soon they're being begged to come back to the house of God because they did not maintain an environment where they could grow. They were literally choked out. The six days between church services choked them out by the cares of this life. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. But some, in this case it was 25% of the seed, in which the word fell on became good ground. It did not have the misfortune to be flung upon the edge of hard knocks or the stone that has no desire to be anything but what it is or the thorns that live to destroy anything unlike itself. No, some fell into. Now that's an interesting word. While some stayed on top, some fell upon, lay in the crevices between the stones where the heat from the stone was extremely intense. Others fell among. And when they fell among it, they became entangled with the branch that choked them because of the real inner nature of the tanglement, of the cords, of the branches. Then there were those who fell into. This means that they went through something and lodged under something. Only those that went through and lodged under something were those who became what it was they were designed to become. 75% of the seed return no source of value to the broadcaster. This is a significant message for those who do not understand the importance of having knowledge of what Jesus accomplished at the cross and are determined to move into the covering of the other dynamics of the names of Jesus Christ. And they are Jesus Christ, our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead bodily. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. This message is a must, and it must be heard. It'll be a lesson that some will fight, rebuke, and reject, but it's a message that if heard and adhered to, then the believer can gain victory over the flesh. Know this, if you have a victory over the flesh, then you will also have a victory in spiritual warfare. Isn't that what we all want anyway? If so, then... Take the teaching of the Word of God and apply it to your life. If you do, then you will begin to see victories that were not available to you before. Now back to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 21. If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. As the truth is in Jesus. Not your truth. Not my truth. Not their truth. Not the Baptist, the Methodist, the Episcopalian, not the Church of God, not the uh, 
Pentecostal holiness, not the Nazarene truth, but the truth that is in Jesus. We have been taught, Paul said, by him. We have heard the word of truth from him. Now that we know we are compelled by love, because we love him, we keep his commandments. And the Father loves us, and he loves us, and he manifests himself to us, John 14. We need to act accordingly, friends. We need to act accordingly. We need to act so that a spiritual war can be occurring. There is no spiritual war when sin is living in the camp and when sin is driving the life of an individual. That's not spiritual war. Not from the attack of the enemy. The Holy Spirit is trying to draw you to the light of Jesus Christ. But those that are living in spiritual warfare must understand the reason why they're under attack. They're under attack because the enemy is trying to discourage you. He's trying to distress you, oppress you, suppress you. He's trying to bring you back into captivity. He's trying to bring you back into bondage. If you're going to live without that bondage, my friend, then you're going to have to get yourself under the covering of what Jesus Christ has done for us in the cross, the tomb, the resurrection, the tabernacle, in the holy place, holy of holies, where he is Lord and seated as God. Now, we're going to have to begin to act accordingly. Verse 22, that she put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. This is what Paul is saying, which is what I've been saying, of course, because I am reading it from Paul's writing, which is corrupt, Paul said, according to the deceitfulness of lust. Put off the old lifestyle, man. Put off the old lifestyle, lady. That was a product of your immaturity. Now you can grow in him. Then Paul says in verse 23, he says, if you do, the only way you're going to do it is to renew, in, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is the cornerstone scripture of this discourse because it is here that we identify with Jesus Christ. All of his names are discovered when we renovate our thinking. Listen to my term here. Renovate our thinking. We spend a lot of time here at our house watching renovation shows. We watch the old beat up house become an absolute gem. We watch something that was worth nothing be renovated and completely changed until it is very valuable. Your life in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our God, is very valuable. But you must renovate the way you think. We are given the opportunity to reform the way we receive what the Word of God is teaching. Our mental disposition or the way in which we arrange the things in our mind has to be renovated by transformation. Now look, the world is in chaos, but churches are everywhere. Church leaders are confused by the current narrative. What's happening? 
The spirit of our mind has not identified with the truth. Therefore, we're living a less victorious life. This is so even with the knowledge of the price that Jesus paid for us to be able to experience heaven's best, which is the economy of grace that results in the benefits of eternity right now. We allow our mind to be inundated with foolishness that confuses our spirit. We allow conversations that are geared to diminish, bring division. We allow the total misrepresentation of the love of God and we cannot discern where the error is. Why? Well, because we're not living with a renewed mind. Our identification abilities are compromised because the word has fallen by the wayside. It's fallen on stony ground and it's fallen among thorns. And what has this caused, you would ask, the very thing that Jesus said that he was not the author of. He's not the author of that confusion. And what does confusion cause? Well, it causes division. What does division cause? It causes defection. Then what happens? The spiritual warfare arise and people choose sides. Most often they choose the side that presents the best argument. The other day I heard one of the nation's most beloved preachers make a comment about two diametrically opposed arguments and positions and say that the church was going to have absolutely no problem integrating them into their doors. Wow. Well, confusion. Spiritual warfare arises. The next thing we know, people are choosing sides on the argument. Aren't we seeing it today? There will be similar points, similar ideals, and people will choose and say, well, I had to because, you know, many of the things they say, well, I agree with. But are those things what the Word of God says? The reality is, is it is not what they say. It is not what you say. It is not how you devise your belief system, how you design your belief system. It is what does the Word of God say? What does the Word of God say? Someone would say, well, Pastor, they're getting it right out of the Scripture, and you would be correct. It is just as the Word said it would be, however. They're deceivers who are ministering a doctrine of deceit. Well, I'm going to close there for this session of how to win in spiritual warfare. I want you to see from this session that a life that is led holy, bowed before God, is the life that will win in spiritual warfare. The one who lays aside sin and the weight of sin that does so easily beset you is the one that will win in spiritual warfare. The one who is living in that sin that is besetting them is not really going through a spiritual warfare under the attack of the enemy. Why would he attack? 
those that have already surrendered. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you will bless and minister to your people. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our high priest, and our man in the Godhead. Amen. Well, I thank you again for listening. Contact us if you will. I want you today to find him as Lord. If you'll find him as Lord, he'll be Lord in all three worlds. He'll be Lord over everything to you and for you. Then if you'll find him as the man in the Godhead, he'll begin to communicate with you through the Spirit. And the Spirit will begin to